0: Welcome to Healthcare DeJour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare du jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now, here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Aaron Rutzler, Vice President of Fraud, Waste and Abuse at Cotivity. Aaron, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Matt.
0: So, Aaron, what I always like to do before getting into the main part of the discussion is to give my guests a chance to provide more of an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So, Aaron, the floor is yours.
1: Great, thank you. So as you said, I'm Erin Rutzler. I'm the vice president of Fraud, Waste, and Abuse for Cotivity. I oversee our fraud, waste, and abuse service and our solution uh, that is a SaaS application in the market. I oversee a team of investigators, clinicians, and coders uh, that support our health payer clients in the fraud, waste, and abuse arena. We provide services such as consulting, uh, investigative support, audit support, uh, investigative work planning, etc. Um, So we have quite a large team that supports uh, 50 plus clients in the market. Uh, as far as my background, I have a healthcare fraud investigative background. I started in the financial crimes and anti-money laundering space, um, and I was provided the opportunity to take a healthcare fraud investigator position quickly, uh, had a passion for the work, uh, really because I'm driven by making an impact and providing service back to a community that, that needs help. So healthcare fraud is you know a very large concern, it is uh, something I'm very passionate about, about. And I believe that we do provide a great service back to our, our health payers and make an impact on their patient community.
0: It, that sounds great. And it's, I think, not too often that you hear folks get drawn so tightly into kind of the fraud side of it. Yeah, so kind of what what was it that had to transition, I think you said, from financial services over to healthcare. What was there a particular opportunity or was it something you hunted out?
1: There was. I, I didn't seek it out, it sort of happened naturally. I worked in compliance right out of college uh, for a few brokers and quickly moved into anti money laundering. Uh, and then I had uh, some friends in my community that were in the healthcare fraud space. Uh, I, I sought out a position at a health plan, and as soon as I got in the door, that I knew that's what I wanted to do for my career. So, uh, um, it, it really was just a, a an interesting turn in my career that I hadn't ex- expected. I really thought I would be in the financial field uh, for the rest of my life, but um, it just it was a happy accident.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think kind of stumbling into it is always uh, produces a lot more happiness or kind of yeah. maybe less, less dissatisfaction because you haven't formed a, an idea of what it's going to be like ahead of time.
1: Right. Yep, that's true.
0: So kind of to help frame the discussion, you know, you're just, you know, in kind of in the background, you're talking a lot about fraud, waste and abuse. And I think it'd be helpful if you don't mind to define what each of those are, because I know they are three distinct categories that may have some intersection, but you draw different forms of attention and uh, potentially different remedies as well.
1: Sure, yeah. So, so in terms of fraud, waste, and abuse, you know, I'll start with waste. Waste is really overutilization of services or misuse of resources. And abuse is more excessive or improper use of services um, that are inconsistent with either business or, or medical practices. Uh, where it gets really interesting is, is in the fraud space. So that's where you have an intentful act of deception, you know, for financial gain. And so here at Cotivity, you know generally speaking, waste and abuse is really what we're tracking, and we're leaving the fraud concerns to our clients and to our law enforcement partners because of that intent piece. So we can draw conclusions from data from medical records, et cetera. Um, but once we start to suspect there's a potential fraudulent concern, you know that's where we need to refer it over to our clients and our law enforcement partners to you know draw conclusions around the intent behind the actions.
0: So when you're going about and looking at the data or looking at behaviors, what is the process for? and, let's, and we'll focus on, I guess kind of waste and abuse. You know, kind of what, what are your focal points and you know what are the indicators for you that there could be a concern?
1: It's, it's really drawing from patterns in history. Uh, so we look at, at providers at a holistic level, not just claims. So a lot of our solutions at Cotivity, they're very claim specific. They look for either coding errors or you know, waste and abuse that may not be uh, systemic across a provider's claims. What we do in our fraud, waste and abuse group is look at a provider and see if there's patterns that you know may look like billing errors or they may look like waste and abuse over time. Um, so you know, we look at general behaviors, we look at peer analysis, uh, and then we draw some conclusions just based on the utilization patterns that we find in, the, find in their claims.
0: So do you have any kind of examples of what might be, what might jump out at you as potentially concerning? And then,
1: mm-hmm. you know, kind of
0: building off of that, once you do find something that, you know, maybe raises a red flag, what does the process look like to determine if it is actually a red flag or maybe something not as concerning?
1: Sure. So we use a combination of uh, algorithms that look at known schemes that we we know are concerns in the fraud, waste, and abuse community. That's one piece of it. But the other is looking at general claim behavior based on peer behavior. So for one very simple example is just looking at excessive services. And one great area that, that we're looking at today is, is in the mental health space. So if we start to see overutilization or excessive Use of a certain service, for example, a 60 minute individual psychotherapy session that is 90, 95%, in some cases, 100% of their billing. We'll start to pick at that and see if it's warranted, looking at patient diagnosis. Frequency of visits, how many patients they're seeing on a day, and then determine whether or not it, it actually makes sense, or if it's outside the norm. And so, once we get to that point of validation, that's where we're then seeking medical records to determine if if we could corroborate the uh, original allegation.
0: Yeah, and kind of when you're going through the records, is that I guess a full blown audit, or is it maybe just? kind of a a small check that could lead to an audit or maybe I'm not, maybe I'm drawing an improper distinction there.
1: No, I I think that's fair. So it can be both. Uh, It really just depends on the egregiousness of the behavior and how we're contracted with our clients. So in some cases, we will conduct what we'd call a probe audit, and we'll only look at maybe 10 records just to see if if what we're finding is warranted for a larger scale audit. In other cases, it's very egregious. So we will use things like statistical sampling to uh, frame an audit that's more comprehensive of their billing over time, but we also uh, work in the prospective base. Space. So we look at um, daily claims that come in and request those records as well. So, you know, what I would say is we use a staged approach and it's really based on the allegation. So, if it's a prospective audit that we can do ongoing and then educate, or we may start with the retrospective audit and moved into the prospective space just to try to change the behavior after we have some audit findings.
0: Yeah. And so, once you do find you know a potential or actual waste and abuse and kind of what's the response and what what are the interventions that might be taken to help reduce ongoing um, kind of the ongoing waste or abuse
1: Yeah, so I would say we use more of a sequenced approach with many of our clients. So in many cases, we're starting with a retrospective audit, which will then in turn uh, present an overpayment recovery opportunity. So that's sort of step one. And when we produce an audit finding to our client, there are heavy education components to to that audit findings report. So we will outline the deficiencies primarily in documentation, outline what we found in the data that led us to those conclusions, And then we will provide them an assessment of the at-risk dollars and the overpayment recovery opportunity. So that's really step one. Step two is education. So education is a crucial component to what we do. Um, In many cases, like I said before, these can be honest billing errors. And so a nice conversation with our provider base around the deficiencies in the documentation, educating them on how they can improve their billing going forward really goes a long way. And then I would say the third step is prospective review. Um, So after following an audit, there may be a six-month period where we'll want to review claims on a prospective basis and determine whether or not the documentation and or billing has improved. And so those three mechanisms together really make the large impact on how we can change behavior going forward.
0: Yeah, and kind of as you're going through the analyses, do you find patterns or are there particular service lines that are more or can more often result in concerning findings?
1: Yes. So um, in it, fraud, it you know, it, especially considering in the pandemic times, you know, there are certain vulnerable pop- populations that do tend to get targeted. Um, it can be specifically in the Medicaid space uh, where, you know, patients may not actually receive an explanation of benefits because they don't have an out-of-pocket cost. So they're, they're really not seeing that this, this potential inappropriate billing is happening because they don't have you know a, a cost to that service um, the commercial space is, I sometimes call it the Wild West. You know, we we have many different payers that have varying policies. They may, they, they'll use a combination of Medicare and Medicaid policies, but then build on those. And so, you know, it's it becomes a little trickier when we start to work in the commercial space because we've had to sort of aggregate all of that information and make sure we're looking at it from the right lens. Um, so I, I think, you know, generally speaking, Medicare, Medicaid, we start to see a lot more egregious, behavior just because of the vulnerability of those populations, but it certainly doesn't mean that the commercial space is off limits.
0: Yeah, and actually, that's kind of an interesting point that you just raised that, you know, with Medicaid, I think you pointed out, because <laughs> there's no explanation of benefits, mm-hmm. maybe some, it's not being called out. So, is that implying that sometimes the patients are reporting the, the concerns because they're looking at it? And, and how often is it that you would hear from a patient?
1: So uh, we don't man a hotline for our clients, but you know, our health plan certainly will provide us referrals based on hotline complaints uh, that they receive. And, and I would say, um, you know, it's it's pretty regular. There's there's a good volume of complaints that come in from members. And, you know, it's 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 a really daunting task for. A resource perspective. And so in many cases, they'll send us the information on any behaviors that have been identified through a complaint. And we'll vet it through our analytics and look at the claims data for them to to, to validate the concern. Um, you know, some of them can be just misunderstanding in terms of the bills or or explanation benefits they received. But in many cases we do get great referrals from the member population.
0: Yeah, it's kind of I mean it's probably a microcosm, but might parallel to some degree, of like you know, whistleblowers or right. other other folks who are have a suspicion that there is a a larger problem, yeah. and you know, being able to validate it, it, I think, sounds like a very important part of the process. Absolutely. So, and then also, you know, I feel like I've seen well over the years. I don't know so much in the past year or two, but I, you know, I feel like I remember seeing lists in prior years where. Uh, Different organizations were trying to identify kind of the top 10 most wasteful or uh, uh, maybe unnecessary procedures or types of services for different service lines. So does that kind of feed into the the waste and abuse analysis as well?
1: It does. So I I would say that we refresh that list every year. Uh, Certainly, there are certain services that come up frequently in, in terms of waste and abuse issues that we're tracking uh, but things like the pandemic and telehealth uh, you know services entering the mix at a, a larger scale i think those types of things are the the refreshes that we need to do every year so one of the suggestions we make to all of our clients as we're going through the process of preparing for a new calendar year is looking at things like coding updates, you know, different schemes that we saw last year, doing a recap of the the known services that that have a risk in their specific data set and then targeting those each year. Um, so I, I don't think it's a one and done. It's a cyclical process where it has to occur each year. So you're staying current with the the current concerns in the in the market.
0: Yeah, kind of that ongoing cyclical nature certainly makes sense. And yeah. for those of you just joining, I'm talking with Aaron Rutzler of Cotivity, and we're talking about fraud or mostly waste and abuse within healthcare. Kind of Aaron, I want to pivot a little bit to you know a point that you just raised about, you know, changing services and the changing focal points because of the pandemic. And I think you're kind of alluding to in particular telehealth. Kind of what what experiences did you see or what changes did you see and what new concerns arose through the course of the pandemic?
1: Yeah, so so we were definitely tracking the uptick in telehealth throughout the pandemic for sure because we knew that there could be some vulnerability there. I mean, certainly the intent behind it is to ensure access to care and and stopping the spread of COVID. Um, but what we started to see is is a a combination of things. One, obviously, telehealth became the, a, a great method for patients to have to have the access to good care. But the other was you know the types of services that were allowed through waivers through. Re- Relaxations, etc. You know, drew some larger fraud, waste, and abuse concerns for us. Specifically, we started looking at the uptick in, in mental health services. So, I think it was about thirty percent of surveyed um, folks in the population indicated they needed a mental health service during the pandemic, which is an increase from, I think it was about 10 or 11% in 2019. And so because of that need, you know, again, thinking back to what we talked about before, potential vulnerabilities in the system, targeting vulnerable populations, we started to see that not only were the mental health services on the rise, but the types of services we were seeing were a bit problematic. So we talked about an example before where we start to look at excessive services uh, and specifically in the individual psychotherapy space. We started to see that the 60 minute individual psychotherapy session was increasing substantially just based on general utilization of mental health services uh, before the pandemic. So that was a really large area of focus for us because we were seeing some egregious behavior. We did have uh, quite a few large cases where we looked at things like what we would call an impossible day scenario, where a provider may bill for an excess of services that would take more than 24 hours in a given day. So that's just a very simplistic example of some of the things we were finding. Um, and you know, I would say, Generally speaking, that was the largest focus area for COTIVITY and our clients last year and the year before.
0: Yeah, so do you see any of those trends starting to settle down, or you know, kind of where do you see you know, the continued use of telehealth and, and the you know, it's, it it's seems like the the more complete integration of telehealth or virtual care into the mm-hmm. continuum. You know, how do you see those patterns settling down as you know it becomes more regular?
1: So I think the challenge is, is, is that the waivers, et cetera, are still in place for many of the services at this time because the public health emergency is, is not over. Um, and so what we're finding is that in some cases, those waivers will be um, dismissed. The In other cases, we're seeing Um, permanent changes to to the allowable services and permanent changes to how those services can be rendered. So for example, in the mental health space, psychotherapy sessions may have uh, the ability to just use audio only. And so what we're finding is not only can that be problematic just from a billing perspective, but it also could impact um, the quality of care that a patient's receiving just given the nature of those services. So I don't suspect that that telehealth will obviously go away. It's here to stay. And I think that, you know, when used properly, it's very effective. Um, and it's really providing an opportunity for patients to get the quality care that they need that may, maybe they didn't have access to before. Um, but I certainly don't know that it will it will see a downtick in the types of schemes that we're tracking, just given the nature of, of what we do.
0: Yeah, and I guess from that perspective, you know, is it fair to make an assessment that telehealth is, uh, you know, arguably more susceptible to waste and abuse, or is it just kind of as you are just, you know, saying it's a newer service that's gained in prominence, so it's just drawing more attention at the moment? But you know, in my mind, I always think about you know, historically there've been many well-known areas of fraud, waste, and abuse in healthcare, um, but. There haven't been arguments of, well, we need to curtail those types of services just because these types of actions are happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say it definitely has created a new vulnerability. Uh, one because, you know, many of physicians and payers may not have the experience um, with the documentation requirements in the telehealth setting. Um, just given the uh, the nature of telehealth, you know, you can see potential over utilization issues arise just because you know, it's sort of the speed of services, right? You're not having a doctor going from one patient, one patient room to the next. Um, but, but I think it's one of those areas that it's just not, just, not just the nature of it being telehealth makes it a vulnerable piece. I think it's the newer side of things that make it more of a challenge and a concern as we move into
0: 2023. Yeah. So I guess then is it fair to say it's, you know, as experience continues to be gained and, you know, I think as you were just implying both. The payers and the clinicians understand the rules and, um, you know, the delivery better that, you know, arguably some of the more egregious cases will start to fall by the wayside. And it'll be easier to sort out the intentional bad actors from those who just were making honest mistakes or making mistakes just because they were uninformed.
1: Exactly. I think we'll be able to better distinguish between billing errors and fraud, waste and abuse as we move forward.
0: Yeah, so, kind of. As we, you know, as we come out of the pandemic, you know, as, as we're recording, you know, the the, the PHA was just renewed, but with, there seems to be a growing feeling or expectation within the industry that this might be the last renewal. So as we start to move to our, towards a period where that does end, and some of the waivers that you're mentioning disappear, you know, because I think also as of today. There hasn't been, you know, legislation or regulations implemented to make all the changes permanent. Where do you see concerns arising, or where do you see, you know, if things do snap back into place, where more protections might arise that could help limit the amount of um, waste and abuse?
1: So I think all of us have been preparing for that moment, right? And so I don't know that much will change in terms of how we're reacting to the changes. I think what's happened through the pandemic is there's been a a heightened awareness of how problematic fraud, waste, and abuse is in healthcare. And so our clients made that shift. They're making that shift in different ways. You know, they're, they're being diligent, they're tracking data, they're looking for concerns earlier, but they're also being more preventative. They're putting more prospective solutions in place. So that allows them to react much quicker than it would on a regular pay and chase audit, which isn't necessarily the most fruitful. It's not the most effective. And I don't, I think it causes a lot more abrasion than it needs to. Uh, So I think where we're focusing as we prepare for, for the PHE to end is just staying ahead of what we were seeing in the pandemic, being more preventive, and working with our clients to track any sort of spikes that we see in the data as a result of of all of these waivers potentially ending, and then also tracking those that will be permanent.
0: Yeah, you're saying that you know there's a movement away from pay and chase and being more yes. proactive. It sounds great because you know, at least personally, I feel like that's been one of the major deficiencies in why you can see so much fraud, waste, and abuse is because the bad actors can get away with it, and then by the time it's detected. How are you actually going to recover the money from them? So, as you know, I guess to pick pick apart a little bit more of what you're what you're saying in terms of being more proactive. You know, what has encouraged that to happen, and what tool, or maybe what kind of tools or technology have become available that have you know better enabled um, the proactivity.
1: So I think historically the reason, you know, the fraud waste and abuse units haven't been able to move to a prospective solution is just the sheer in- administrative burden of standing up such a program. Uh, you know, we, we're always tight on resources in the special investigations unit to begin with. And so I think it's a combination of having a solution that works for them that's not burdensome to their already taxed investigators, but also having subject matter experts as their partners. Uh, so there are, you know, aside from what we do at Cotivity, there are a number of vendors in the market that provide that type of you know, service to, to these payers. And that enables them to take some of that administrative burden off of their, you know, their experts who should be looking at investigations and then put this into place. Um, so, you know, things like automated workflows, machine learning, AI, all of those new technologies that we didn't have when I started my career in healthcare fraud are enabling our clients to take that action. Uh, and but they're also, I think, using partners to do so. They, they, the great resignation that occurred as part of the pandemic certainly did not help with having to staff and, and maintain resources in, in these investigative units. And so I think what people are doing is just reaching out to their community and making sure they're ahead of the trends and schemes and then also partnering with right the right, right
0: folks. Yeah, and kind of thinking as that movement continues to happen, you know, and, and then furthering that the discussion around what happens as we come out of the pandemic. You know waivers and other changes. What additional changes or you know laws or regulations you think would be helpful to help reduce the the fraud waste and abuse concerns and also reflect the lessons that have been learned?
1: So, you know, I I wouldn't say I'm an an expert in in regulatory uh, change and concern, but, you know, I I would say that I think it's, it's an ever evolving problem because I was speaking to another colleague the other day and we were talking about how incredibly frustrating it is to be healthcare fraud investigator because you feel like Uh, it's sort of whack-a-mole, right? You you find one thing and then you move on to the other and there's new schemes, new codes, new changes, et cetera, all of the time. Um, So I I think what I would say uh, from my perspective is really just learning from each other and being more collaborative and understanding the unique needs and sets of all of the health plans and the regulatory agencies and the government programs that are out there and thinking really thoughtfully about how we combat the problem together versus working against one another, because I think that's the biggest challenge, especially now that you know most of us are remote, we're not, we're not getting together as much, we're not collaborating as much. We used to have these great task force meetings and you know in-person conferences where we're data gathering and, and having all those roundtable discussions. I think some of that got lost, but we're getting back there very slowly. And I think that will help affect change in the future.
0: Yeah, no, I like that emphasis on collaboration. One, it's reflective of, I think, a lot of the broader discussions within healthcare where there's a suggestion, if not actual reality yet, of trying to get all the different groups working together. Because, as you said, if you're sharing information and you're all trying to work in concert, it's more likely that you're going to be able to produce positive results.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So, unfortunately, we're already almost at the end of our time So I'm going to close with one final question, which is, you know, what is your prediction of what might be, you know, the biggest challenge or maybe the biggest opportunity with, you know, fraud, waste and abuse in terms of driving positive um, change within the industry?
1: prospective solutions. Uh, I I can't emphasize that enough because we have been in this pay and chase game for way too long. Uh, We're not recovering enough of the losses. Uh, It's a multi-billion dollar problem. And I think that where we're seeing positive results is in the prospective space, not only from the provider community, because I I can't emphasize enough, some of these things may arise just because of billing errors. And by going back and looking at two, three years of data And then requesting this hefty sum of dollars based on their billing over the last three years, it's very abrasive. And then sometimes it's just not necessary because there's an education component to it. So I think having a prospective solution, you know, stop some of those errors early, we can be more preventative around the long term potential fraud issues, and then in turn, drive savings just based on the, the general claims we're seeing each day. And then have better patient outcomes.
0: Yeah. And I think that also emphasizes what you're talking about around collaboration and you know working in concerts. So if you're prospective and educating and detecting early, then you know that all feeds into we're in this together. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, believe it or not, we are already out of time. I want to thank my guest, Aaron Rutzler, for a great conversation today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag HC d-e-j-u-r-e i'm matt fisher until next time